welcome to episode 69 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. This is your host, Greg Lindbergh. Here on episode 69, we are chatting with a former longtime beat baseball player from California uh, who is no longer active on the field, but remains extremely active within the beat baseball community. Uh, he also hosts a show on YouTube that we speak about, and uh, we'll also be recapping the 2022 National Beat Baseball Association World Series, uh, which just wrapped up in Texas. So let's go ahead and dive into episode 69. All right, so my guest here on this episode of Eyes Free Sports is Neil Dog, uh, formerly known as Neil McDonald. Neil Dog, welcome to Eyes Free Sports. Thank you very much. Appreciate the invite, Greg. Love what you've been doing from the beginning. Hey, I really appreciate that, man. And I know we uh, we can definitely speak about your project as well, which I definitely admire. And as far as covering Beatball on YouTube, uh, so we can definitely get into that uh, toward the end. But uh, let's just start out with uh, as far as your visual impairment and where you're from originally. I'm from Sacramento, California. It's where I've lived uh, my whole life. I just turned 54 uh, recently. Uh, I, I've been totally blind since 1979. I had eyesight um, in, until about a month before my 11th birthday. I like to say I, I had sight for 10 and 11 twelfths. Or I, I, when people ask how old I was, I'm sorry, I say I was 10 and 11 twelfths. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I was uh, out uh, with my older brother. I, I was the, I'm the youngest of five kids by a long way. So like three of two of my brothers were in high school when I was born. Um, oh, wow. So uh, we, I, uh, my family was into water sports, water skiing, swim. We all swam on a competitive swim team. And uh, I was out with my oldest brother um, on a water skiing day and their uh, other friends of his other boats. And one of the boats broke down uh, at the end of the day. And we were the, the last boat there and we were pulling it in. And uh, the boat I was in was a jet boat. And the, the boat we were pulling was a day cruiser, which is a, a bigger, larger, heavier boat. And we were using uh, two water ski ropes and a chain. So there was a water ski rope and then a, a chain. And then it connected to another water ski boat uh, rope that went to the other boat. And that was too much uh, pool for, for that, you know, what we were doing to not enough rope. One of the ropes broke and I was sitting right in front of the tow bar. And the chain came back and hit me in the face. So it, uh, my, my nose, sinuses had to be reconstructed. It took both my eyes out. Mm -mm. Oh, wow. What a story. <laughs> it just shows, you know, life happens and you never know what's, what's around the corner, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. One, one thing I found in 40 plus years in the, in the blind world, it's like there, there's some wild stories of how, how everybody got here. Uh, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. some, some people are born into the family and other people go through <laughs> wild stuff to get here. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. All kinds of, you know, like accidents like that or car accidents or mm. it really is fascinating. You know, they, they say as far as blindness, that it's like the most versatile way that people can become blind or visually impaired compared to any condition. No, I've never heard that comment, but I mean, it kind of, it makes sense. But at least in our world, you know, the, with what we experience, other other blind people. Absolutely. Yep. 
So as far as uh, adaptive sports go, I know you you played beatball for a long time, and uh, just talk to me about how you found out about beat baseball initially and how you got into the sport. So I originally heard about beat baseball here here in California. I, I in the in the Sacramento area. I'm about two hours from the San Francisco area, and. In the San Francisco area in the 80s, and it lasted into the early 90s, there was a beat baseball league. And um, only a a few of the teams ever made it to the the World Series. Um, But um, at some point, there was uh, some media coverage on them uh, here locally. When I was maybe a freshman in high school, just a couple years after my accident, my mom comes running in. She's like, Neil, Neil, you know, there's blind people playing baseball on TV. And I, I was just like arrogant and had no interest. Like, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, yep, I grew up yep. playing baseball and football and basketball and stuff out in the yard. And, uh, you know, the, the thought of I, I just knew real baseball. And the thought of picking up a ball and throwing it at a blind person at first base or trying to catch a ball in the outfield and throw it to home plate to get a player out, like, that couldn't even be done. You know what I mean? So I didn't even go check it out. Um, yeah, but then my senior year in high school, in 1986 is when I graduated high school, the World Series of Beat Baseball, which has over 45 years of history now, um, the, the World Series of Baseball was hosted in Stanford, California. And a group of the, uh, you know, existing players from uh, just kind of a, a, a mix of volunteers from different teams came up to Sacramento. And um, it was tied in with the Society for the Blind here in Sacramento. Um, and they did a demonstration and just a talk. And I, I went to that. And when they were talking about this double elimination World Series and the, these top players like Ray Marshall and things they did on the field, I just like once I started getting how our, our this this adaptive version of baseball could be played. I just instantly was falling in love. I remember uh, what the, the man that drove these players up and, and led the talk, his name was uh, Wally like Kozar or Kojak, Wally Kozar, I think. Uh, Wally was definitely his first name. He was a, a, like a telephone pioneer volunteer that helped out with that league a lot. And uh, I had asked so many questions that while I was wearing a blue uh, windbreaker and he pointed out to me, he's like, man, I don't know who this kid is in the blue windbreaker, but he's going to be a champion someday because he, he <laughs> he's eating this up. And I, I was, man. And I literally, Greg, from that moment was dreaming of winning a championship at, at, at this sport. Like I, I loved playing team sports when I could see, and there's not a lot of uh, opportunity for team sports in, in, in the blind world. And that was my first introduction to it. And I, um, I, you know, I give beat baseball like uh, credit for making me comfortable in my skin again. And, and a lot of that had to do with, cause seven years into being blind, 
mind, I was still dreaming as a, to be a sighted person or my, hmm. my future dreams were imagining things I could do as a sighted person. And the, the, my first dream as a blind person was to win a beat baseball world series championship. And then all of the players and, and mentors and stuff that followed from that just added into why I say it made me comfortable in my skin again. Wow, that's amazing. And then so as far as your beatball career, I know you played for many years, uh, competed in the World Series, you know, over the course of many years. And I, I know you were a member of the West Coast Dogs at one point. Did you play with any other teams? I played uh, with a few teams because uh, I started my first ever World Series was in uh, 87 in the West Coast Dogs. I was a founding member of the West Coast Dogs, and we didn't start that team until uh, 1994. So I first played with the North Bay Nemesis, um, and they my first year with them, we finished fourth. They had finished third in the 86 tournament, so it was a, a great opportunity to jump right in. Uh, with a really good team. So I played with them for three years. 1989 was their uh, last year of existence. So I uh, then joined the East Bay Blaze um, and played with them from 90 to 92. We finished in third place in 1990 and then uh, fifth, both in 91 and 92. Uh, and then 93, my own little Sacramento team that was the, the first team I kind of helped create. And we just played in our, the local league here. Uh, we are called the Sacramento Thrashers. We, we got a year, uh, one year in at the world series, but that was really the start of the West coast dogs. We even, uh, tried to change our name to the California dogs, but we'd already registered as the Sacramento, uh, thrashers. So we are one year as the thrashers. And then from 94 and, until I retired, uh, I was with the, the West coast dogs. And now, uh, I retired in 2009, not even retired. I never announced a retirement, but that's when I, I walked away. Gotcha. Oh, I see. And so how many titles did you actually end up winning? Um, I was fortunate to have been part of five titles, played in the championship game in nine of the last 11 years I played. So I was very, very fortunate to, to ha have uh, several shots at that because some people go their whole, some players go their whole career without uh, ever getting a sniff at that. So I, I wanted one from, from day one, Greg, and, and I was fortunate <laughs> to get five. So in the West coast dogs overall um, have won seven championships, which is the uh, second most third most in league history. Gotcha. Wow. That's awesome. And I know you did play with uh, Lex Gillette, very well-known adaptive yeah, athlete yeah. and uh, a number of others. Anyone else you want to give a shout out to as far as teammates or, Man, you know, I, 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 in a lot of ways, Greg, it's almost too many to name off. I mean, I got to I, I, uh, Eric Masriegos, who until Eric uh, Rodriguez <laughs> took over beat baseball over here in the last several years. Eric Masriegos was the best player to ever play this game, all, best all-around player. And I, I actually brought him to his first beat baseball game. And um, he, he, along with uh, my, my partner on, on the Beatball Blues show, Seth Clark uh, and Don Robinson, we, the four of us, started the West Coast Dogs. So, you know, getting to play years and years right next to the, the best player, Eric Masriegos, was great. But, you know, in, in 2006, 
it was the 30th anniversary of beat baseball and they did the best like 30 players of, of the first 30 years. And I was fortunate enough to be named on that, but I bring it up more cause it ended up being like 33 players on, on that list. And I, I would have to see the list again, to, but I had played with either 10 or 11 of those players up to that mm-hmm. point. And, and I got to play with some more great players after that, Lex Gillette being one of them. So, um, sure. I, I just, uh, like I, w- I wouldn't be a champion without having played with other great players. I, I, I'm proud to have been a starter on, on every one of those championship teams and a captain of every one of those teams. But man, I, I didn't, my physical ability abilities didn't take us over the top and win us championships. I was fortunate to, to have been, um, uh, surrounded by great players for most of my career. And, and I, I love that, uh, just as much that like there are a lot of them, Danny Fapiano, uh, Eric Masriegos, Seth Clark, the first ever to hit a, a beat baseball home run back in 1990 when the, when the line was at 180 feet. Uh, you know, oh, wow. and the, the, the second player to ever hit one, Kimmy Watts in 1993, the first left-handed batter to ever hit one. I, I played with him too. Like I, 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 I was surrounded by some of this league's best ever. And that for me, that's like the biggest highlight. Like I, I, I there's too many individual names that, uh, that I can't get them all in there, but I've, I've been very fortunate and lucky on those terms. Sure. So let's fast forward to uh, this year, 2022, uh, this season, and kind of specifically the the World Series, which just wrapped up in Beaumont, Texas. Uh, so I know before this, the World Series, and obviously the regional tournaments leading up to it, uh, I know there was a lot of movement in terms of some big names, you know, moving to different teams. <laughs> I feel like, you know, just kind of having followed the Beatball Nation on Facebook, maybe the most movement we've seen as far as big names in a long time. Ever. And uh, if, if you just want to kind of give your, your perspective and thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in one we we could literally do a podcast just simply on all of the movement this year, because I don't remember ever in the history I've been around it for over 30 years where this, there was this much movement and because of things like beatball nation, uh, beatball central, like that, it's all documented, you know, everybody <laughs> back when I, in the heyday of my career, you sometimes didn't know what any moves any teams made till you showed up at the world series. Like what, who's pitching for who, <laughs> you know, there wasn't sure. this, uh, you didn't have the this line of information, but uh, you know, I I was trying to remember where it started. It might have been Tyler Rodriguez, who is the younger brother of Eric Rodriguez, and he was one of the core members of that Indy Thunder team that won five championships. He, uh, even though he was injured and, and unable to play in 2021, he was still like a, a big part of that, again, that core. And he uh, moved uh, to Philadelphia and joined the Philadelphia Fire. Um, and then shortly, I think it was after that that it came out, and maybe even before, like it, there was so much, I don't even know who all was first. Like Demetrius <laughs> Morrow was going to the gateway archers from the jets. Ethan Johnston went from the Indy edge to the jets, Justin Holland, who had just had an unbelievable uh, series playing with the Atlanta chaos. He was going to the Indy edge, but then sometime in October, 
it's like 11 o'clock at night here in California. And all of a sudden my phone's blowing up and it's Tyler Rodriguez and Eric Rodriguez, both calling me trying to get my attention. It's like two in the morning where they live. And Eric Rodriguez tell me that he's, he's leaving the thunder and, and going over to the Indy edge. And I mean, they you know, like sure. And, and Eric Rodriguez, he's the best player in the game. So that's significant. That's like Michael Jordan, you know, leaving the bulls and going and playing for the Indiana Pacers or something at the time. <laughs> and so he, sure. he jumps over to the edge and then Corey white, who was the hero of last year's uh, world series, the 2021 championship game, hitting a, a home run, a walk-off home run in, in the bottom of the sixth inning to, to win the game eight, seven, like something nobody's ever seen in beat baseball. He, he was offensive MVP last year. He follows Eric. He goes to the edge, his younger brother, Corey on white, who now might be literally like one of the best, three players in all of beat baseball he follows them over so you know all of a sudden you got like a u.s olympic team <laughs> on the in the edge um so i and you know, there was other movement later nick silver leaves uh that the edge it goes to the the philly fire like i said there there's too much to even document it all but that that's some of the main highlights. It, it, was, it was crazy. It was a wild offseason. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, so let's just talk about uh, as far as some of the regional tournaments. I assume you kind of followed, you know, some of the, the smaller tournaments leading up to the World Series. And did things kind of initially shake out as you maybe thought in your mind that they would as far as after all the moves happened? You know, it was really up and down because everybody pretty much locked in on the Indy Edge being number one and everybody else was going to be playing playing for second. And because of the movement, like we mentioned, so there are a lot of teams getting different players coming and going. And then you, you had teams like the Jets and the Philly Fire who had uh, brand new pitchers. You didn't know how that would be working out. And, uh, you know, for the most part, it played out right. Uh, you know, the Jets uh, ended up being ranked number two. They, they showed what everybody more or less expected them to be coming in. But, like, the, the, the Chicago Comets uh, were kind of up and down. The Austin Blackhawks started out kind of high, and then they had a long losing streak, like six games, and they dropped out. Um the, the chaos started out hot, and then they cooled off. The, the Value City Heat started out hot. They cooled off. So it was really hard to gauge. It was easy to plug the Indie Edge into one. And it was pretty easy to plug. You, you could make some arguments for why the Jets maybe couldn't have been two. But for the most part, it was easy to plug them into two. Man, from three to 11 or <laughs> 12 was just throwing darts and you know we'll just see how it turns out and and, sure. the, and the way the games played out it that, that's we pretty much had all the teams that would be the only the gateway archers fell out of there uh, but for the most part we had all the right teams in that range um, but it, it you know it, I, it was going to be anybody's guess on who who grabbed from three to ten right right gotcha and so really diving into the the world series here um just kind of any initial thoughts on that you know the first day the first two days i feel like it's kind of like march madness you've got all these games going on at once and 
it's hard to kind of follow everything and you kind of have to, you know, sit back at the end of the day <laughs> yeah. and just look at the, the scores and kind of reflect, right? Yeah. So uh, for your audience, uh, uh, like a little education. So the Beat Baseball World Series is a five-day tournament. Um, it's a double elimination tournament. Um, but the first day of the tournament is a round robin. So the double, the tournament always starts on a Tuesday and the championship game is played on Saturday. So the, the round robin plays uh, on Tuesday and, and that doesn't affect your, uh, like that, that the double elimination part does not start until Wednesday. So uh, what, what Tuesday does is give, teams a chance uh, coming in because you, you're ranked from one this year we had 17 teams it's a, the number's not always the same this year there were 17 teams so they come in ranked from one to 17 and the round robin's an opportunity to improve or you know a higher seed lose their ranking uh, but it didn't really happen too much uh, on day one on Tuesday the favorites pretty much played out the way you would expect until you get down to the bottom four um, no, number 14 was Long Island and number 17 was the Braille Bandits of Palm Beach County team you're very familiar with would have been playing sure. with if health provided uh, nope. but those 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 two teams flip-flop so coming out of Tuesday the the Bandits have moved up to the 14 seed and uh, the the Bombers dropped down to the 17 seed and the same thing happened with uh, 15 and 16 uh, a brand new team well not brand new because they've been around a few years but uh, uh, the COVID um, situation prevented the South Gabriel not South I'm sorry San Gabriel Valley Panthers a team out of Southern California first team we've had from California in years. Um, the, the COVID held them up from making their debut. It would have been in 2020 had, had COVID not hit. Um, they still weren't able to make it in 2021, but they finally made their debut this year. They came in ranked number 15 with the BCS Outlaws, uh, Brian College Station um, Outlaws being ranked uh, 16, uh, an experienced team, and they were able to flip that. So going into Wednesday, uh, the 16 moved up to 15 and, and 17 moved up to 14. That was the only changes. But on Wednesday, uh, that, uh, you know, they, they say like in seven game series, a series doesn't start until the home game loses a game. And uh, the double elimination doesn't start until a higher seed loses a game. And, and that's, right. that, that started happening right out of the gate. So. And uh, uh, we, we, we have three game times. So teams are sometimes playing as uh, many as three games. And the game times for this tournament, uh, we're all uh, central in, in the Texas area going at 8.30, 11.30, and 2.30. So on Wednesday in the 8.30 games, um, in, in the 7 to 10 games, uh, uh, seeds 7 to 10. And, you know, it's 17-team tournament. So they're right in the middle of the pack. You expect those games. If the rankings are right, you expect those games to be close. So the seven seed, the gateway archers played the 10 seed Austin Blackhawks. And that was one of our first cases of a seed moving up. The Blackhawks defeated uh, the archers nine to eight in a really close, uh, a good game. So that, that moved Austin into that two seed. I'm sorry, seven seed and dropped um, the archers down to 10. And same thing with the nine, eight game. The Chicago Comets came in ranked number nine with the uh, Atlanta Chaos ranked eight. 
and they had a really good game, 14 to 13 in that, that morning slot. Um, it, it was 13 to nine going into the bottom of the six with Chicago coming up and, you know, they'd scored nine runs in the first five innings. I did not imagine they were going to muster four runs, but they mustered five, Greg and Richie wow. Schultz, longtime great player for, for the comments had the walk off and they won that 14, 13. So they took the eight seed um, that, and then going into the next round of games in uh, the, the 1130 games that uh, matched Austin uh, Blackhawks that who moved up to the seven seed against the San Antonio jets who were still holding that two seed. And uh, the, the Blackhawks were able to beat them 14 to 11, moving them from the started out at the 10 seed, moved them all the way up to the two seed. And they, they, they were complaining about being that 10 seed. And so they proved that they had right to complain by, by being able to flip that. And then the, the final upset of, of that game, uh, what I, I believe should be viewed as an upset, was in the 230 slot, the Gateway Archers playing the BCS Outlaws. So, you know, remember Gateway lost to um, Austin. That dropped them into that 10 uh, spot. And, and the Outlaws had been in the 15 slot coming out of Tuesday. And the BCS Outlaws knocked off the Gateway Archers. 19 to 12 and, and the archers came in they they last uh, the 2021 tournament was their first ever world series tournament and they finished eighth and then they added demetrius morrow and they added ethan johnston they added johnny walker who's a pitcher it's it had a, a fantastic career most of it spent with the colorado storm so they bring in you know extra weight following a an eighth place finish and and losing to BCS that knocked them out of the double elimination tournament. They ended up finishing thirteenth. So after the first two days, that was those were the most stunning. Uh, and the first two, those weren't stunning. Again, they were like right in that seven to ten range. But um, Austin knocking off San Antonio, and, and then uh, BCS knocking off Gateway were the big stunners. Right, right, definitely just some amazing action, and like you were saying really close games some really fun comebacks uh yeah a lot of excitement those first two days as far as uh, the indie thunder obviously you know losing a number of top talent uh talented players uh coming into this world series um, were you kind of surprised at you know their their ultimate finish or talk to me about the thunder I, I'm not at all surprised. I think I had them number five on my final ranking going in uh, to the World Series, and they finished sixth. Uh, you know, they lost so much talent. They lost all-star after all-star. Eric Rodriguez, Corian White, Corey White. Miguel Tello didn't end up playing with anybody else, but he's another all-star and a great defensive player. They lost him. Uh, they, I, I, you know, I'm drawing blanks on uh, other players that they like. Tyler Rodriguez <laughs> was gone. We, you know, you have a core that's been winning championships and they all leave. Uh, you know, it, it's impossible to, to put them down as a contender yet. And, and on top of that, Kyle Lewis, one of their captains, uh, an all-star, he's a great left-handed hitter, an all-star in his own right. He missed the season with a knee injury. Zach Bueller, an all-star, one of the best, probably 10 players in all the game. And I think he was on your show because he, he, he was an Olympic uh, gold medal winner uh, with the uh, 
goalball team? Did they win gold? I'm sorry. Maybe I jumped the gun there. But, he, you know, he was on the U.S. Olympic team. He's a fantastic – Zach Bueller's one of beat baseball's oh, yeah. best athletes. And no uh, they missed him with a knee injury. So, like, even the players that stayed there weren't there. <laughs> so, you know, James <laughs> Michaels, who's a longtime great player, made the defensive all-star team last year. You know, he filled in. Toby Gregory came back to their team uh, – uh, I mean, I'm trying to blank on G's name. I, uh, Gerald Dykus, uh, you know, he again made the offensive all-star team and led their team, but they just kind of pieced guys together this year and they, in some ways, and they still finished six. So, I mean, it was, I, I said it when they got knocked out of the tournament, their, their effort was, and um, no, no room to go down this road on, on this show, but they on and off the field had just a horrendous season and they showed up and showed nothing but grit and fought all the way through it. So Darnell Booker, Gerald, uh, uh, Jared Woodard, Gerald Dyke, they all, they all deserve a lot of credit. Absolutely. And like you said, to still finish six in spite of so much change and yeah. a lot of challenges this year. And yeah. Cause look at these other teams all like adding pieces and they finished behind them still. So, or not like a lot of teams added a bunch of pieces, but you know, the, their the gateway finished eighth last year, added pieces and still can like, you know, top over with the Thunder. And I'm not, I'm not taking away from the archers. I'm trying to point out it's really hard to finish high in this tournament <laughs> and the Thunder without all those pieces they lost still found a way to do it. Right. Absolutely. So let's move on, uh, you know, within the World Series to, to kind of those final rounds, Thursday, Friday, if you just want to maybe recap how things, uh, you know, shook out. Well, you, uh, I, I believe it was a surprise for people because uh, with the double elimination tournament, you you get down to having uh, just two undefeated teams by Friday and they play each other and the winner goes to the championship game and has to be defeated twice. So they're in a good position and, and the loser has to go play another game. And if they win that and get to the championship game, they then have to beat the undefeated team twice. But our, our two undefeated team uh, teams were the Indy edge and the Austin Blackhawks. And, and again, with the, the Blackhawks coming in as the 10th um, rank, uh, that, that was a really good run for them. But again, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise because they finished third last year. So, um, right. You know what I mean? They, they did what they told us they were going to do. Uh, the team that was really it's the San Antonio Jets ended up being the team that advanced and faced the Indy Edge in the championship game. So when, when you're coming up through the losers bracket, if you lose on Wednesday and Thursday, that means to get to the championship game on Friday, you're playing elimination games all day. You're going to play three elimination games just to get to the championship game and try to beat the undefeated team twice um, who, who's been resting since Friday morning or afternoon or whatever. Um, sure. In this case, so Greg, we had rainouts on Thursday. Like they got the morning session in on Thursday, but everything else on Thursday got rained out. The San Antonio Jets had to play four games on Friday to get to the championship game. They, they played oh, the Valley wow. City Heat. They, they had to play the Austin Blackhawks again. They, I, uh, 
the Indy Thunder, I believe, was one. I, I meant to go back and look at the four teams they played. Honestly, so many games and so few days, it's all a blur. But all four of the teams they played on Friday were top eight teams. And and uh, the, the Heat were the only team outside of the top, like, six that they had to face. And they didn't just beat them. They whooped all four of those teams. They, they weren't even challenged in those four games. So that is one of the most impressive things in all the years, uh, over three decades in this sport, I've seen a team do to get to a championship game. So impressive. So impressive. Mm-hmm. And of course, they went on. They lost the championship game to the edge, 19 to 8. But, you know, I mean, that's uh, not taking anything away from the Jets. But, I mean, it's been predicted from day one that with the, the amount of talent that the edge put together, they took over half, well, about half of the core that won the Thunder five championships. And they added it to Justin Holland, who's one of the the league's best 10 players. Nick Mulherin, who's one of the league's best three or four players. Uh, Each of them all-stars last year. Mark Morris, who's one of the league's best defensive players. Like, they already had talent. They added all these (laughs) all-stars to the team. So, had they lost, it would have been a tremendous failure, honestly. Um, so, no I mean, they, they did what they were expected to do, but, uh, you know, hat, hats off to the run the Jets made just to get to the championship game. And they did it with a rookie pitcher, Jeremy Lopez. You know, I, they, uh, one of the most iconic figures in beat baseball history is Kevin Simpson, who pitched for the first the Austin Blackhawks, won nine championships with the Austin Blackhawks. That's the most any franchise has ever won. And then he went sure. with Axel Cox and, and Zach Arambula and started this Jets team. And they've been the runner up a few times. You know, they get, they were getting close. But uh, after like 36 years, 35 years, uh, Kevin Simpson hung it up last year. Um, and so they they started this, this run with a new pitcher, Jeremy Lopez. And, you know, when you look at what they did on Friday, what did those four games to get there with a rookie pitcher? Unbelievable. It still blows me away. Oh, yeah. And you and I both know just playing three games in one day is, is hard enough. But like you yeah. said, to have to play four and to dominate in all four of those. I played for over really 20 tremendous. years. I never had to play four games in a day. Thankfully. <laughs> I'm thankful for that. So, yeah, I'm so yeah, proud exactly. of those guys. Great performance. No doubt. Just a little more on the championship game. Uh, definitely big shout outs to Justin Holland, who I know you've mentioned a few times. Oh my God, that monster. Um, yeah, hitting two home <laughs> runs in the championship game. Uh, just from what I understand, you know, two home runs have never been hit by the same player in the whole World Series alone. You're so exactly just, right. You're yeah, exactly just, right. I mean, people were talking the other day that it's never been done in the championship game. It's never been done in a World Series game, and I don't know that it's been done in a regional game. I won't. Don't quote me on that. But two home sure. runs in one game is not something that happens in beat baseball. So it, it our home run lines at 170 feet, and our uh, beat baseball weighs one pound. It's a 16 pound softball, 16 pound, 16 inch softball that weighs one pound. So hitting hitting a one pound rock. 170 feet, you know, the, the, let me see you do it. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> this monster, Justin Holland, is stepping up and cracking balls. And that's the way the edge were all this year in a way, because 
I don't remember if it was the Bolingbrook tournament or the the Indy Thunder Bonanza. Both both are eighteen uh, eight. Uh, t- uh, tournaments that include eight teams and they're the largest tournaments outside of the world series. The edge won both of those tournaments in, in one of those cases, like second pitch of the game, Nick Mulherin hit a home run, you know, Eric Rodriguez is capable of capable of that. Aaron C is capable of that. Like they Corey white <laughs> in that same lineup hit the, hit the home run that won the championship game last year. The, you know, it's, the uh, the it, it's silly what they could do <laughs> that lineup it's just silly man but Justin Holland man that that was, that was just way cool uh, I you know I, uh, shout out to him too like having been on your show I'm I'm not sure. in I'm not a hunter or like I didn't grow up putting my older brothers and my dad kind of did but that was never something I, I I grew up doing and they were all out of it by the time I I was old enough to do that stuff and so I never got into it never really had an interest but I do love the outdoors and his his episode with you and, and his uh, project uh, for blind outdoorsman I thought was way cool uh, so shout out to him for doing that as well absolutely and I give it a little. To- even this little speedo tutu out there, Mr. Muscle Man, <laughs> professional <laughs> bodybuilder freak. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, that's yeah. a great He's... dude. I'm sorry to no digress, doubt. but that's a great dude. No, yeah. I had a chance to play with him on the Athens Timberwolves a few years ago. Oh, and cool. I, I definitely knew, you know, he was a up and coming uh, star. Yeah. So he's he's proven that for sure. Um, As far as Kyle Kennedy, the edge pitcher, talk to me about your perspective on him. I know that this was his first uh, year pitching in the championship game. Yeah, I mean, and, and he came through uh, perfectly. Uh, yeah, I mean, he. Uh, I wouldn't. I don't know that he had like his best game ever, but he did more than enough. You know, whenever uh, you show up in a big game like this, you just want to make sure you give your team enough to to have a chance to win. And he did more than that. Uh, there's so much pressure was put on Kyle from the moment this team was built. Uh, if the team didn't win a championship, it's all Kyle Kennedy's fault, blah, 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 <laughs> which is really unfair because it, you know, takes a whole village to, to win. But, uh, no, I mean, he stepped up, he played really well. I'm really proud of him. Like he, you know, he, he had a, he had a great season. He, he never once gave anybody any further reason to question whether or not the edge could win a championship with him. They rolled with him all year and, and, and they did it with excitement. You know what I mean? They're hitting home runs in a championship game. Get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I know that, uh, you know, there are, there are awards that are handed out and whatnot, and certainly a lot of notable players we've already mentioned. Uh, anyone else you want to recognize maybe that was a surprise or that stood out to you in the World Series? I, I uh, you know, talked about how well Kyle did. The, the, the six players that made the all-tournament team on offense, three of them were from the edge. Corian White made it. Eric Rodriguez made it. Oh, you know what? I guess maybe it's uh, uh, two of them. My my apologies. So those two, but David Smith and Joe McCormick, David Smith of the Jets and Joe McCormick of the Boston Renegades were the offensive MVPs. They they both hit 800. The the averages were really high this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eric Rodriguez was your defensive MVP. 
uh, Mike Coughlin uh, uh, was was number two, but uh, a, a young player, Casey Kraus, who plays with the Philadelphia Fire, playing in his first ever World Series. They they actually would be probably a fun story for you to to have on your own show. I would like to have them on on hours because uh, uh, Casey's a, a rookie player. He got Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year. He made the Defensive All Star team on on top of that. Uh, but his his dad, Pat Krause, was the rookie pitcher this year for that team, and they finished fourth overall, highest finish wow. they've ever, ever had in, in their history. So, I mean, they're a program that's been putting pieces together over this last year, and, and they're going to be around for a while. So those, those are the, the ones that stand out the most to me. Uh, our other uh, – uh, uh, Casey was the defensive rookie of the year uh, for the Austin Blackhawks, Daniel Brock. They call him Broccoli. I love that nickname. Uh, <laughs> Bro- Broccoli was the offensive rookie of the year. He hit 552, a ni- nice high average, especially for a rookie. So th- those are some of the up and coming uh, uh, players people need to be looking out for, go- uh, for going forward. Sure, sure. Very cool. Just kind of looking ahead, do you see the edge, you know, making a run kind of like the Thunder did over the last several years? Or what's your take here? I mean, if they keep it together, that that's the key, right? You know, that the reason they dominated is because this collection of talent. Um, and last year at this time, we were, we were already counting the Indy Thunder for a possible sixth championship in it, and it fell apart. So, the, the key will be keeping it together, but these guys all seem to really like playing together. Um, right. So I, I, I personally have no reason to think that they're not going to be a problem for the rest of the national beat baseball association over the next several years. Cause they're this collection of, you know, Eric Rodriguez and Nick Mulherin, the, the both Corey on and Corey white, they're, they're all like in their early 20s. You know, Aaron C's like mid 20s. Mark Morris <laughs> might be a little bit older, but if anybody thinks they're going to age out, you know, good luck with that. So, uh, <laughs> as long as they can keep people together and healthy, another key. Uh, there's no reason to think that um, they're, they're not going to be right there for a while. Right. No doubt. And I would imagine, you know, as far as the Jets having such an impressive run at the series and certainly the Blackhawks maybe surprising some folks, uh, you know, some of those other teams, you know, I would assume, in your opinion, have uh, pretty bright futures as well. Yeah, I guess as far as like bright futures, um, the people, uh, the the teams that jump out at me are certainly the Philadelphia Fire. Sure. Uh, and, and even the Jets, because though, though they've been there knocking at the door, they've they've got some young players like Will Lopez and, and Ricky Castaneda. Uh, Castaneda, I believe his last name is, made the defensive All Star team. I should have mentioned him already. Uh, he he really started showing people what he was made of a year ago, and and then he made the defensive All Star team this year. So they. Um, you know, they've got a, a rookie pitcher who showed that he can deliver in the biggest games. Um, so, you know, I, I think that they still got a, a bright future ahead of them, even though they've been one of our teams there knocking at the door. And, and I'm still, even though the Gateway Archers had a, a rough season, um, I, I'm not giving up on them at all. I, I think they're going to be back in the top 10 next year. And, and they've, uh, they're going to, the, they're based out of kind of that St. Louis, Missouri area in the World Series of Deep Apes. Baseball is going there in 24 and 25. 
So hmm. uh, they're like there. There's going to be a lot of action, I think, around the archers going forward. Definitely. All right. So to wrap up here, uh, definitely wanted to give you a chance to talk about uh, the Beatball Blues Show, which is uh, your <laughs> YouTube show you've had now for i guess a couple of years yeah and, uh, over two years now closing in on 100 episodes wow amazing and just talk to me about what inspired you to start that up and maybe any memorable interviews or episodes so the so the start of it goes back to when the pandemic was in the early like march 29th 2020 was the first episode yeah. and um, I, it really was never intended to be anything long-term, you know, I'm sitting at home in this lockdown and everybody and their grandma is like on CNN or like everything's being done on zoom and on yep. people using their, their FaceTime, you know, with their, their, whatever smartphone they have. So, uh, I, I've had a dream since I stopped playing, um, to, uh, find a way to get the, the support and the, the sponsorship to organize like a training camp, you know, it'd be held in maybe April and, and hmm. get like 10 to 12 young, uh, either young or new players, because like we pointed out, you know, who you never know when somebody's going to go blind or whatever, an accident, like what happened to me could happen to somebody when they're 30, 35, and then they find people. So, you know what I mean? We don't grow up wanting to play people as kids or whatever. It, <laughs> it happens more sure. like depending on what happens to you in life. Um, yep. so I, I say younger and newer players because we could have, you know, brand new players in their, their thirties, forties. So I, I've always wanted to, I feel like I have a good handle on, on fundamentals and the way the game should be played. And I believe in them. And I've thought it'd be great to get some like a coach, little coaching staff together and just spend like three days coaching some players up, you know, not even so much playing games, but breaking up into groups and, and learning the right way to do things. So I've never been not so far, haven't been successful at pulling that off, but I was like, man, let's just do it virtually. Uh, you know, we're uh, the group you mentioned, Beatball, Beatball Nation, which is a place where you uh, post your show. And, and it's a great, it's up over 1,600 members in there now. It was about yeah. 1,200 when I, when, when I started doing this show. Uh, but I just started going out on Sunday nights and uh, like I was going to feature a part of Beat Baseball each week. I, one, one week we focus on defense, then offense, and team building, and you know, as it went on, then I got to interview a few people and, and people responded more to that, you know, featuring and eventually um, instead of doing it like on FaceTime live on, on Sunday nights, uh, we started recording it on Zoom. That allowed me to bring a, a, my longtime closest friend, Seth Bam Bam Clark in to, to co-host with me and put it on youtube so it was more available uh you know I, honestly I, I i i never expected it to or, and, and it hasn't but i did put it on youtube to become like a youtube sensation i want some <laughs> young blind kids uh, to have the opportunity a uh, blind family whatever a family of blind people to come across the show 
and say, hey, do you know about this game beat baseball? To get it, uh, so they could get into it like you and I have, Greg. So that sure. uh, you know that that's what uh, what drove it to to be getting on YouTube. So it started out just to be a temporary thing, but uh, man, I was having so much fun getting to know all the different players from different teams and and doing it. That we just have kept rolling with it. And, and the name, the Beatball Blues, was because you know we are all on lockdown. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> You know, people were kind of blue at home. I was looking for something for for people to kind of get into while while we we're just hanging. And yeah. uh, I, on top of that, I'm, I'm a fan of Jeff Healy of Blind Blues Guitars, who, who's no longer with us. But uh, like the first show I ever did, I, I like had his blues guitar ripping in the background. So that was kind of <laughs> tied into the blues part too. Uh, but as, as far as memorable shows i mean there there's so many as far as because you know when i played even though i played against all these teens i really didn't get to know the players that well and we didn't have facebook and texting and and all that stuff so like we i didn't know the a lot of the players as well i i know the league better now than i did when i was an all-star player and uh Mm. I, i i um I, I don't know. I, I, I've loved that part of it, but I, the ones that stand out to me uh, and they weren't even as well received shows, but when I tried to dive into some deeper stuff, like uh, David Smith, the, who just won the MVP came on a couple years ago and, and did an episode uh, with me t- talking about um, PTSD, which is something he, he deals with on a daily basis. Um, mm. and, and we, we had a, a, a psychologist who is not only blind herself, but she specializes in PTSD. And we had another guest who, who suffers from PTSD, not a, a beat baseball player, but you know, she had been through abuse that left her with PTSD and, and there's a lot of PTSD in our community. So, you know, I, uh, that stands out to me because, you know, it, a small audience, big audience doesn't matter for, for a player to let down his guard like that. And trust me, come on and, and talk about such a deep experience. It, it means a lot to me. And, and Ethan Johnston, who grew up in Ethiopia and just had, you talk, talk about stories to, to get to where he is. Like he, he was literally forced to be blind to, to be put out in the street and beg for money in Ethiopia. Unfortunately, a family saved him and, and, you know, he, he came over here and lived in the States and, you know, became a, one of beat baseball's uh, best, best players, you know, arguably is a perennial all-star. Uh, but sure. I, you know, having, having players come on and share stories like that with me, that, that means a lot to me, really. That stands out more to me than any episode that may have gotten like the most views or whatever. Right. Oh yeah. Just finding those fascinating stories and yeah, you know, rabbit Touching. holes, if you will, but uh, things stories. that really right that people, you know, can relate to and yeah, maybe kind of the, the taboo things that people don't always want to talk about. Putting that out there is, is really beneficial. I, I think so. That's why I wanted to do it. And, so again, like the, those episodes weren't as popular, like as far as the number of views, uh, but I, I don't care. I, I don't regret doing them and I'll do more like that going forward. We've, you know, we've dealt in, 
we we've uh, jumped into other like deeper subjects like that. We've we've dealt with racism in 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 our sport because just like the rest of the world, there's racism in our sport. Unfortunately, not you know. I, I hope there it's not a ton of it, but it, it goes on just like the rest of the world. So you know, we talked about that. We're we'll, we're we're going to feature the best players in in the game and what's going on, but we aren't at all. Seth and I we're not afraid to dive in to what's real right that's awesome and i definitely you know hand it to you applaud you on all the work that's gone into that show you know obviously as you know it's time commitment coordinating interviews schedules so really appreciate what you've done to support the game (laughs) yeah thank you appreciate it right back at you right back at you hey i appreciate that neil all right so again we've been visiting with uh, neil mcdonald or neil dog as many know him as and uh, neil dog really appreciate the time just your expertise your insight is uh, really unparalleled about the sport so thanks so much for joining me here on ice free sports you're kind to say that it's my pleasure man keep up the good work right Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports. Sports.